The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley. With me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He's a traditional Catholic priest, a member of the Society of St. Pius V. He's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you? Very fine, Tom. Thank you. Yourself? Doing well, Father. Thanks for being here. Uh, Joining Father Jenkins and myself, we have returning to the program again, Mr. Tom Condit. He's a uh, great friend of the program and a prominent pro-life attorney here in the Cincinnati area. Mr. Connett, welcome back again. Thanks for having me. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, our, our last program, Father Jenkins, Mr. Connett, we talked a lot about the, uh, the Texas uh, lawsuit that, uh, that we saw going to the, the Supreme Court, and uh, it was a matter of days, uh, even before our, our, that, that program uh, was aired, uh, we heard from the Supreme Court, uh, they're very, very terse, I believe not even a full one-page uh, statement where they um, essentially just totally dismissed the case and uh, I guess for a lack of standing. So, Mr. Connick, could you, um, you know, we, I think a lot of us were, were placing a lot of hope in, in this. Uh, you know, it, it seemed uh, seemed that a lot of good could come from this. And I, I think we even quoted President Trump, how he said this, this was the big one and, uh, you know, we needed this win. So, uh, I, I guess, could you kind of elaborate on the uh, the Supreme Court's decision here saying that there's no standing uh, for Texas in, in this case and uh, just kind of what, what happened there with that? Sure. Uh, let, let me begin with a, a mea culpa because after we aired the, or after we recorded the last show, it wasn't too long before I realized I had misspoke when we were talking about some of the crucial dates for the Electoral College. And uh, some viewers might have caught that even already based on the news and so forth. But I think I I misspoke about what was happening January 6th, which is kind of the big date. So we wanted to acknowledge that. We we don't want to be fake news here (laughs) on what Catholics believe. So So what is happening on January 6th? Well, well, January 6th is the date. Well, December 14th was the date where the state legislatures actually select the electors, right? I had said that that was happening January 6th, but what happens January 6th is they had already selected them on December 14th, and that's the date that the Senate, that, 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 that the vice president acting as president of the Senate, actually formalizes that vote count and the electors, if there's no controversy, which may not be true this year, but if there's no controversy, that would that would be that would be the true date that the president's elected. So the vote count is already done; it's just not formalized. Not uh... the, the votes have been cast, and as we've just seen in the news in the last forty-eight hours, yeah. six states, especially the ones that have been most in the news, uh, had their Republicans step up and put forth a Republican slate of electors even in the states that Biden had been de- yeah. declared the president-elect. Mm-hmm. So, so it's in play. There's, it's, it's, gonna, it's unsettled. There's going mm-hmm. to be some, some This does raise the question, though. You mentioned that December 14th was the date on which the state legislatures were supposed to pick the electors, right? Right. But in these six states now, there's a, there's a, a conflict here, right? So who actually chose the electors for Biden? If the Republicans are in the majority in those 
state houses, and they sent electors for President Trump. Who sent the electors for Biden from those states? Well, you know, th th this gets to another area of the Constitution and the electoral process that I don't quite understand yet, <laughs> okay? But my understanding is that the Supreme Court has even previously ruled that the electors are bound, that the electors are bound to vote for who they're supposed to vote for. Um, and I'm not sure if that has some role to play in how those elect in, in, in the... Um, in the duty of a state legislature to send the electors that their citizens voted for in that state. It could be that they're bound. It could be that they're bound to do that. Um, unless they're, obviously, it's not fully, because if there's fraud in the very things that are in play this year, clearly the state legislatures have the right to take control of that mm -hmm. to make sure that fraudulent votes aren't or at least that's certainly what, what the discussion's been. But I must admit, even even the, the, your question's a good one. I don't right, I don't really know the answer to that. Mm -hmm. So so you, so your question is in the states where there's a Republican majority in the state house. We're talking about the state house, not the U.S. Congress. Mm -hmm. uh, if there's a if there's a majority of Republicans in the state house, but the but Biden has been certified as the winner by the state board of elections and the governor uh, are the members of the state house. Were they obligated to select Biden electors mm. as opposed, even though they're, it's a Republican majority, were they bound to do that? Mm. I think maybe they were. But they didn't, right? They sent another well, in, slate of... In, in six states, they didn't. Right, that's six, my point. Okay. In six states, they didn't. And those were, the, those were, at least some of those were the six states that, that were currently being contested. Those right? were the hot ones, yes. But also New Mexico, which hasn't been in the news much. But, mm -hmm. but New Mexico apparently had a Republican majority that yeah. uh, sent Republican. So mm -hmm. that's um, that's got to be, all those states, that's got to be close to 75 electors probably. Certainly enough, if they stay in play, to bring mm -hmm. Biden below 270, mm -hmm. you know, on January, uh, six, January 6th, there. January 6th. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So and anyway, uh, this all springs to me misstating the, the, what was happening on a given date. But to clarify. By the way, that uh, as Tom mentioned, Tom Negley mentioned uh, the program that we did last time um, actually came out a few days after it was made. And by that time, the Supreme Court had already rejected Texas lawsuit. So we put a statement uh, there on the website that this program was recorded on such and such a date before the Supreme Court's decision. So the number of uh, views of that program were pretty low, uh, which di disappointed me because I thought that even after the Supreme Court's decision, I thought the program we did last week would have really helped people understand the, the court's decision after it was made. If they had watched the program before the Supreme Court decision was made, that would have been good. I actually think it would have been better if they watched the program even after the, pro the uh, Supreme Court decision was made so that they would understand what is meant, because you explained what this matter of standing was all about and uh, talked about, uh, well, I think you even talked about what if the Supreme Court cannot hear this, then they're, they're less than useless 
to the United States of America, right? I did and say that. And they failed miserably and uh, send that. them home, right? I did say that. Yeah, so I, I really think, still encourage people to watch that program of last week. Uh, what was it, December 9th, uh, December whatever was the week? Might have been the 8th. Eight? Yes, okay. Oh, oh. It was the 9th, the day after the Immaculate Concession, we recorded that program. Yeah. What, what do you make of that, though, Mr. Conant? I mean, were you, were you surprised by this? by the statement from well, the Supreme Court? You will recall that I did express some reservation l last time right. about whether the Supreme Court would have would be deemed to have standing because... Uh, I mean, whether I, Texas had standing? I'm sorry, whether the, whether the state of Texas would have standing because the state of Texas, being a sovereign entity, is not a voter, mm. it's not a candidate, it's not a political action committee, it's not a office holder. It's its own sovereign self. And the question I had was, and by the way, Sidney Powell said the same thing on, I saw her interviewed on a video yesterday, and she said she had had some reservation about mm -hmm. it. So I don't want to say great minds think alike, but, um, but that, because it's kind of an unprecedented situation, but I, I just, but anyway, so the standing, I know some people that I know had expressed express still some desire to understand standing a little bit more. Yeah, but uh, Justice Alito and Justice Thomas thought they should still address the case, right? Right. What happened was, so, so this is, and this is, it's constitutional that any case involving a state, the Supreme Court has original jurisdiction over it. So what happened, what happened in this is, uh, in fact, for those who haven't seen it, this is so short, I'll read it. So this is what, so the Supreme Court issued a, a um, two paragraphs, and you know, if I, can, I don't know if anyone's going to be able to see that. Probably not. Amen. But it, it's literally two paragraphs. And so what the statement from so the, there was a statement from the court, and then there was a dissent from Justices Alito and Thomas. So the only statement of the court is the state of Texas's motion for leave to file a bill of complaint is denied for lack of standing under Article Three of the Constitution. Texas has not demonstrated a judicially cognizable interest in the manner in which another state conducts its elections. All other pending motions are dismissed as moot. So with that big decision being made, everything else didn't matter anymore. That's all the court said. Mm -hmm. That's it. Now, it then went on to say that Alito and Thomas join, uh, they join together with this statement. Uh, in my view, we do not have the discretion to deny the filing of a bill of complaint in a case that falls within our original jurisdiction, which it does because a state is a party. I would therefore grant the motion to file the bill of complaint, but would not grant other relief, and I express no view on any other issue. So I'm not, it's not even clear to me what they're saying that they would... They, that they would not grant other relief. Maybe all they're saying is just on a highly technical procedural thing, we shouldn't have just dismissed the motion and not heard it. We should have accepted it as we are bound to do because we have mm -hmm. jurisdiction and then maybe denied everything. Mm -hmm. So that's a real, almost, that's a technicality of procedure that means not a thing to the United States of America. Okay, that's just judges playing their little intellectual chess games about mm -hmm. jurisdiction. 
Maybe they're saying more there than, than, than maybe more is there than I think. But I, I will just tell you this: as I read this, um, it's uh, here. Here's why. Here's why I think. Just trying to really be politically neutral about it, they should have at least taken the case and heard it, even if they were going to decide nine to nothing that Texas did not have standing. They should have accepted it and then decided it on the merits. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the U.S. Supreme Court routinely, I mean, once every three to five years, they'll accept and decide cases about standing. And sometimes someone does have standing. Sometimes someone doesn't have standing. But at least they accept it. They let it be brief. They have oral argument. They decide it with an opinion. I mean, here it's just like a, it's like a stiff arm. Just get out of here. Mm-hmm. You know? So I don't know why they would have done it this way. And I've, I, 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 my sense as a lawyer is, uh, I said this off the air, this, this almost to me was like someone saying into a microphone, no comment. It's like they all must have so much to say about this, mm-hmm. and yet they publish this. It can't be 100 words total. Um, I just think there's something more to this, and maybe it's something that, now, if, if anyone needs a reason for some judicial hope, I mean, from the judicial process, Rudy Giuliani had said within a day or so that they basically took the Texas lawsuit and refiled it in all four of those states with President Trump being the plaintiff. Now, President Trump has standing. Okay. No, but what they had to do, but but the Supreme Court doesn't have original jurisdiction over it. So President Trump would have those lawsuits would have been filed in all four states, in the United States District Court, which is the trial level, and the trial judge, if he's going to dismiss it, let him dismiss it, and up would go ultimately to the Supreme Court again from four different tracks. <clears throat> Who knows what some of the judges might decide, what some of the courts of appeals might decide, because they're, they're going to have to get to the merits and weigh the constitutionality of certifying elections with massive vote fraud. Massive vote fraud. This is the amazing thing. Somebody I heard on conservative talk radio about a week ago. I hope I'm not repeating what I said last show. That 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 if if this if if Joe Biden is sworn into office, based on what we know, what what's really provable, because the Democrats and the mass media can say all they want. Oh, there's nothing there. There's nothing. But I never see them deny anything specific. For example. At three in the morning, trucks showed up and hundreds of thousands of ballots were wheeled in the back door. I never hear anyone specifically deny that. (laughs) They just say, well, there's no evidence of this. But all these, I don't never hear specific denial. I think it's uncontested that these things did happen. So with all that being proven, provable, no doubt provable, if they start in a courtroom swearing witnesses, state your name, what did you see? including computer experts that can say no doubt floats were, uh, votes were flipped by computer. If that starts playing out in a courtroom, then the United States courts have to come to a decision. Either we're going to let completely fraudulent criminal conduct go untouched, or we, or we, we can't let Biden take office. It's just going to be that simple. And anyway, the talk radio, I think it was a call-in guy who said, and this is just true, if Biden's allowed to take office based on what we know, every institution in the country will have failed. Mm-hmm. Every single institution. 
And that's true. If we've got a judiciary in this country, Supreme Court all the way down, that can't see that we can't election this provably fraudulent, be honored, we can't, then all is lost. Yeah, but Tom, can we even have that hope? I mean, we have a Supreme Court right now who, um, you know, I mean, uh, abortion is, is the law of the land. Yeah. Um, I mean, how much, what, what is a fraudulent election to, to an abortion? Yeah. Well, the only hope is that there's maybe enough principled Republicans here. Again, that's what I'm saying. I don't know what to make of this. They said so little. This, this might have been their way of inviting. Bring it on with a different plaintiff. I mean, who knows? But this says so little, I don't know what to make about it. But look, I don't want to, I don't want to start in advance trying to validate what a Supreme Court with Amy Coney, Bar Coney Barrett's going to do. But uh, again, well, well, look, if they can live with this fraud, then, then they break uh, out the bulldozer. President Trump said they're basically, well, he said they had no interest in the greatest fraud in the, in the, in the history of the country, <clears throat> but they were also accused of being cowards. I think all that's true. That they're afraid of the consequences of making a right decision. I, I, yeah, and let me say one more thing about standing, because I had a constitutional law professor uh, in law school who I thought I was disappointed with him because he let too many constitutional law classes he should have been lecturing turn into kind of uh, students sharing their thoughts about things, which, quite frankly, I didn't need to hear. I, I wanted to hear what he thought about things. But I'll never forget, cause, and I was always kind of disappointed and bored in his class. Uh, but there was, so, but I'll never forget this because it stood out so much. He ended one class. The topic was standing, and he wasn't asking anybody's opinions. He got rolling for about ten or fifteen minutes, and he was almost shouting. But he was so mad about the. And he, I remember him saying, he ended the class saying. There is no more unprincipled area of the law in the United States Supreme Court than the law of standing. And that's because he'd gone through some cases where some people that seemed to have very clear direct injury. Uh, in fact, let me read the standards. Here's, here's the three-part test for whether one has standing. An injury in fact. Okay. A sufficient causal connection between the injury and the conduct complained of. And a likelihood that the injury will be redressed by a favorable decision. Those three things will give you standing. Now, what they've really said here of the three is that the state of Texas really hasn't demonstrated an injury in fact. That Texas isn't injured by how other states conduct their elections. I think that's what they've really said here. Okay. But the point is, you've seen cases where people clearly injured, clearly injured, clearly all this and they won't get standing. Mm -hmm. And then you'll see other cases where maybe some abstract interest group with a political interest uh, somehow gets standing. And you know, Planned Parenthood has been given standing many times to challenge abortion laws. Planned Parenthood doesn't have a constitutional right to perform abortions. The law is that the women have the constitutional right to get abortions. The right rests with the women not with Planned Parenthood. And in fact, many abortion laws are passed to protect the women from Planned Parenthood, right? From their medical malpractice, from their disinformation, from their poor whatever. Planned Parenthood's actually, and, and yet they're allowed, they're given standing to bring this case attacking the abortion law on behalf of the women. 
Why would they ever have standing an abortion case? It, you'll pull your hair out if you try to understand the law of standing. It, so this is just the latest example. It it almost seems like a like a cop out kind of where it's like they don't they don't want to deal with the case and so it's just let's just but you know the injury in fact I think Father Jenkins made this point. Um, how can we say that that Texas was was not injured by 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 the way that that other states uh, conduct their elections when the election is for the president of the United States? So these other states are are determining the president who's going to be president of Texas as well. So if these other states are having fraudulent elections that is going to impose upon Texas an illegitimate president, how is that not an injury? It's a heck of a question. I think Father Jenkins' comment last week, which might have been off the air, was that as an example, the the president's going to select all the federal judges that are appointed in the lower courts in every state. And and federal judges have a huge impact on what, on the rights of people within a state, and even maybe what the rights of the state might be in certain scenarios. So that's a very excellent example. And another one I thought of was just treaties. The presidents can enter into treaties with four, like the Paris Accords on all this climate change. Mm-hmm. I, I've never gotten into that issue too much, but I know the finances of it is a huge shift of wealth from the United States overseas. And you can't tell me every state in the union won't be hurt by that economically, right? And so there's all, those are just two ways the state of Texas would have an interest in who the president is. Mm-hmm. So I don't think there's any doubt in these people, the judges and their law clerks, they're plenty smart enough to understand this. It's hard not to take that decision as insulting, as a direct flagrant insult. I agree. To not only the state of Texas, but to every single American who voted for President Trump. That's basically, I'm sorry, it's like spitting in their face. Absolutely. That's how people are taking this, as, as they and rightly so, yep. and rightly so. Yep. Funny. It is an absolute disgrace. Mm-hmm. I mean, as, as I was saying, if they, if they didn't want to make a decision, why couldn't they have just said, well, this ultimately must be decided by the state legislatures, <clears throat> and at least state what the constitutional principle is there as to how these things must be decided with regard to the electors, right? And instead of punting the ball away like a hot potato, they could have at least passed the ball to the, the, the state legislatures where the power resides according to the Constitution. They didn't even do that. Well, well, you know what? I don't want to say in defense of them, but maybe that's exactly what they just did. But they didn't say it. Why didn't I, they say that? Why couldn't they have come out and give people hope? Because there were a lot of people hoping yeah, yeah, yeah. for them. They dashed a lot of hope yeah. at a lot of people. And this was really criminal to do that in my book. It was really bad to do. Right. An Let, evil thing to do. Okay. I mean, well, where does it go from here, Tom? Well, back to Constitutional. the states. Back to the states. Constitutionally. Well, first of all, it sounds like there's four lawsuits with all the same allegations in the federal district courts right now mm-hmm. with President Trump as the plaintiff. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what should be happening. Because to get this adjudicated properly, there's going to have to be days of evidentiary hearings Mm -hmm. to bring in the witnesses who saw the fraud and to bring in the witnesses who can test about the illegalities of all the ballot, the the last minute changes made by the governors and the secretary, the illegalities of all that. That's going to take days of it. So so there are four federal district judges in this country right now, Mm -hmm. one in Georgia, one in Pennsylvania and so forth. They should be clearing their dockets. Mm-hmm. They should be saying, 
this case gets all of my time for the next two weeks so that I, we can make a decision and give you time to appeal up to the Court of Appeals and to the Supreme Court if you have to, because the hour is late. So we, 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 I'm clearing my dockets. Let's, let's go. Let's get the witnesses in here. But even That's the, what even should if be they happening. Do, even if they do, okay. Still, there, there are things happening according to a timetable. I mean, January right, 6th right. is approaching very right, rapidly right, here. Right. So uh, what recourse does the United States of America have against this fraud right now? I mean, if it's going to ultimately come down to the state legislatures, Right. Right. Well, again, to, to me, if these judges do their jobs, it may not have to go to the legislature. Well, it might still ultimately. But if in the end, federal district judges find President Trump has more than met his burden of proof of vote fraud and there's hundreds of thousands and, and even the judge would have the power to order it, I think. These, these votes aren't counted. These, these tens of thousands of votes are, are, are in the trash, Biden loses all those votes, hmm. now certify the election. And let's say they finally, somebody finally makes that decision by uh, June 25th. The okay, by, what then? By when? June 25th. Let's say it takes all this time oh, no, it can't. To, to roll through all no, of this. Okay. No, no, this is what I'm saying. The judge has to clear his dockets. And I said two weeks. So you're saying That's it's possible to get this done. Oh, it could, be, it could get done. They, they, need to, they need to have court from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. if they have to. I see. They, they can get it done. And, um, that, and that's what, to me, that's what the duty of these district judges should be. Clear your dockets. There's nothing else in your life until you decide this case. And then there would have to be expedited appeals because January 6th is the real date that everybody has to respect. Okay. There's time to get those cases to the U.S. Supreme Court by then. But you're saying then by January 6th, <clears throat> at that point, that's it. It's all over. Well, is that what you're saying? Uh, I, I don't want to say that with absolute certitude. I'm, I'm When you ask me what can be done, well, what can America In the courts. For? In the courts. Okay, but I'm not asking the courts. Okay, well... The I'm asking right now because I don't trust the courts okay. to do us any good mm -hmm. right now. Uh, is there anything the state, the, the, the Congress of the United States, the Senate of the United States, is there anything they can do? Because ultimately, they're going to have to certify all, all these electoral right. votes, right. right? Right. Ultimately, it's going to come down to them on January 6th. Right? What can they do? All right. So I, I want to be careful not to misspeak two shows in a row. Because it is complicated, and, and we're still, we've, I've looked at it and talked about it today. But what can be done on January 6th, and help me out here if I, if I step off the, what can be done is that, especially with six of the votes, or with six of the states, sending dual slates of electors, that that's going to have to be dealt with in a joint session of Congress. And if those votes are not, if, the, if those states' electors end up, um, not adopted or in controversy or uh, to, to whatever extent th th with the, that official vote tabulation that goes on in, in, the, with the, in front of the joint session, if neither has 270 votes, uh, that is when it actually goes to the Senate and the United States House of Representatives making their separate, what is separate selections for president and vice president. <clears throat> the Senate picks the president the House picks the vice president. I think it's the other I way heard it the other way around. I heard Senate, it was Senate, Senate voting 
Uh, each senator gets one vote for vice president. For right. vice president. Right. Oh, didn't I, not what I said? For and, vice president. And yeah. Congress then has to vote on the president. On the but they vote state by state. Yeah. yeah. So it's one state, one vote. Yes. All right, but wasn't it then if something, well, I thought there was if something didn't happen then, it went solely to the House of Representatives. If That's not what I said. Okay. All right, so. But it could be. But it, I, it, is, so. it is confusing, but it, because there are states where the slates of electors are in play mm-hmm. and enough electors that it would pull, if they would pull Biden below 270, mm-hmm. that, that then would be the ultimate constitutional process mm-hmm. for the U.S. Congress to pick the president. Mm-hmm. That's right. That would be very interesting. Oh, right? it would be. Um, and that would re- re- depend upon, of course, Republicans voting true to their party, right? Right. That's a big issue right That's, now. There's reasons to I mean, sweat over that. Even Mitch McConnell, right, just has come out, congratulated President-elect Joseph Biden, and supposedly has instructed senators, Republican senators not to challenge his electoral votes, right? In the greatest fraud in the history of mankind, basically. Well, maybe the second. <laughs> but uh, uh, Mitch McConnell, of all people. Mm-hmm. Amazing, right? And, uh, but maybe it's not so amazing because people, uh, the conservatives, so-called, are accustomed to being stabbed in the back <laughs> by those they counted on. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think ultimately the, the question of hope here comes down to God's will. We know that, you know, as Catholics, we understand that. But, uh, you know, that depends upon whether God gives us what we deserve or gives us what we, uh, the mercy we're begging for. So um, <clears throat> we just have to try to be as unworthy, uh, try to be as, as little unworthy as possible to try to, uh, we can't be worthy of God's mercy. We can plead for it. The very point of mercy is that you don't deserve it, right? That's the whole point. <clears throat> so, um, if God were to give us what to deserve right now, well, that's a, a sad thing to think of, right? Um, but uh, if he gives us what we pray for and, and shows mercy to us, then he has the power to do that. And uh, rather spectacularly so, really. Mm-hmm. So we have to uh, pray to God for that mercy. Uh, would, I, would I rely on the Republicans in the Senate and the Congress? To save the day? No. Would you? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe think, at this point not. I think not. I'd call it a miracle due to prayer. <laughs> a miracle due to prayer. That's right. That they see what is right and they have the courage to do what is right. Um, but um, no, I think it's important for the listeners uh, here, our viewers, to uh, understand that there is hope. But we, we always have to realize that... Um, you know, when we talk about these things, the legalities of all these things, and the courts and the legislatures, and so we're dealing with human beings. We're dealing with human beings who are very flawed. Okay, we know that. And uh, if we pin our hopes on them, we're making a big mistake because we can be disappoint. We can be disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. And people who have relied on these uh folks to resist the fraud and to, you know, make this turn out right. Um, and for us, that would mean, you know, according to what is constitutionally right, but mostly what is morally right in the eyes of God, uh, as long as we've been de- depending on human beings to stand their ground for what is right, 
we, we are constantly being disappointed. And this can lead to a real serious depression and even despondency and even despair. And that's not where our hope resides. Our hope doesn't reside in these people. Our hope must reside in God. We have to keep that in mind. And uh, sometimes God has to take away all of our natural hope in the sense that sometimes God has to take away all our visible means of support in order to show that this is not man's will that is being done. It is God's will that is being done. Sometimes God has to demonstrate us to us that ultimately he is the one who has to decide these things. And the only way he can make it very, very clear to us, because we're, let's face it, we're dunces. I mean, uh, St. Paul says imbeciles. It's the way the word is translated <clears throat> in the epistles. Um, sometimes God, the only way he makes it clear to us that this is my doing, that this is my victory, and it is a victory for you, but it is not a victory of you. It is not your victory. It is my victory. But it is a victory for you that I'm doing this. But I am doing this, and you are not doing this by your cleverness, or by your, uh, you know, by your strength, by your swiftness, by whatever any, anything else. <clears throat> that uh, as long as you are continually looking to, you know, this candidate or that legislator or this judge to be your 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 salvation, you are making a big mistake. Ultimately, it must come from me, and you must never rely on man, right? Our trust is not in man, it must be in God. As long as we trust in man, we are doomed, right? So we have faith really in no man, right? Um, but it, it must be in God to carry this. So, uh, But that's where all of our hope is, and, and where it always must be. So I just warn our, our listeners not to, uh, you know, give up hope or not to, uh, uh, you know, even even get on the verge of despair over these the betrayals by the turncoats. Uh, maybe they were putting too much, relying too much on them in the first place. And maybe this is God's way of just saying that it's a very big mistake and very insulting to me that you're going to be relying on all of these people to save you from a problem that is very clearly a moral problem. I'm the only one who can deliver you from this evil, and you have to look to me and pray to me. And have, you know, the first requirement is, I know I'm going on, and I'm sorry about that, but the, the first requirement to, to receiving any grace from God and mercy is, first of all, <clears throat> have confidence in him and his mercy, right? You have to have confidence that he can do this, and he has the love necessary for us to do it. We have to start there. <clears throat> and then we have to pray and try to remove the obstacles in us against the mercy of God for him to give us that mercy. So uh, there you are. I've said my piece. <laughs> well, it's better for you to go on on spiritual matters than for me to go on on constitutional matters. Well, it is what Catholics believe, after all. <laughs> but I think, I, I think it is important to us to realize, though, that it, there's nothing wrong for us to pray for the people involved who have to make these decisions, right? I mean, any authority, any legitimate authority on earth comes from God. So those who hold that authority, we need to pray for them, that they will see what is right and have the courage to do what is right. But we can't place all of our hope in them as though if they fail us, there is no hope. That's a big mistake. Father, what do you see, uh, what, do you, what do you envision uh, the, the future of the United States looking like? I mean, I think we all... 
um, we were all well aware already of, of the uh, kind of moral decline that we've been in, uh, to, to put it to put it uh, nicely. But you know, if, if there's one thing that this this election ha has shown, it's that um, we live in a country that that is full of just dishonest um, cheaters who will lie, steal, cheat, you know, to do anything possible to to achieve their means. How can you have society with these with these kind of people? Um, how, how can you possibly have a, a, a functioning, normal functioning society with these kind of people? Well, you, you can't. And I think the Soviet Union discovered that, that when they tried to, well, supposedly after Glasnost and Perestroika and so on, they, they tried to adopt a free economy uh, and so on. They found that they couldn't because with people lying and cheating and stealing, stealing you can't rely on their word. You, can't, you have to have contracts. People have to give their word and keep their word and held accountable for their word in order for there to be any type of interaction, you know, among the people that is for the good. And uh, if people are used to surviving on the black market as they were in, under communism, um, you know, it doesn't happen overnight that all of a sudden when they've had to uh, basically survive by lying, cheating, and stealing and going under the radar and now, all of a sudden, they're going to be perfectly reliable and trustworthy in their contracts. So uh, one of the leading economists, I forget his name right now, but uh, it was an American individual, uh, an economist who pointed that out. It's going to take generations for the Soviet Union, he said, for the ex-Soviet Union, <clears throat> to uh, actually be able to have a free economy because it's going to take generations to build up even a tr the trust among the people to trust each other's word now because they've been raised under communism and under communism basically you have to lie and cheat and steal to survive you know it's the black market uh which gives you what you need to survive um so you know, how do you how do you have any basis for a human society when everyone is a wolf toward his brother, and now or now they're trying to make everybody's a virus toward his brother. You know, you can't even breathe around somebody else without putting everybody else in danger. How do you have a society like that? And I think the, uh, the head of the Republican Party in Texas, uh, a gentleman named Alan West, whom I have a high regard for, <clears throat> said that, well, we have to look into seceding from the Union. So how can we be united with states... Um, that do not follow the Constitution of the United States. If we, if we all take oaths to follow the Constitution, and there are some states that avowedly will not follow the Constitution, and they're basically being supported by the Supreme Court, or letting them get away with it, how can we be in union with them? Where is the union of the United States of America at this point? Because that's one thing they were all united in, right? The, the Constitution of the United States of America, and the oaths that bound them to observe it. He said, if that's being dissolved now, if that's being destroyed, if that's a fiction now, well, let the states that are willing to follow the Constitution and keep their oaths, uh, whose, who's, you know, ju ju um, judges and, uh, and uh, legislature and so on are willing to keep their oaths to the Constitution, let them bind together and form a union of their own and just leave the other states behind, right? What he's saying makes perfect sense. But that's not only true of states, it's also true, also true of individuals. Ordinarily, in any society, if somebody cannot be trusted, keep his word, follow the law, he has a civil suit against him to punish him for that, uh, to find him liable for damages that he's, he's done, or criminal charges to actually punish him by jail time or whatever else, right? 
But if that's not going to happen, that uh, uh, not only individuals get away with murder, literally get away with murder and abortion and so on, and it's state-sanctioned murder, what, where, what happens to the foundations of having a, a civilized human society like that? Uh, so we see these um, decisions made uh, by the courts and by the legislatures as destroying the very fabric of our society. And ultimately leading to where we are right now. And Father, isn't that just, just so appropriate? You know, as we are running headlong into communism, where we're supposed to have this great workers' paradise, you know, where we're all mm -hmm. supposed to live in this great commune. I mean, in fact... Ten years from now, we're supposed to be in a situation where it's absolute communism. You own nothing, but you will be happy. And, isn't and the, that's an order. Isn't the exact opposite of that happening, though? Now, you know, we have that supposed United States of America, and have we ever been more not united mm -hmm. <laughs> than we are now. Right. Um, but Mr. Conrad, I guess, what, what do you, uh, what do you see for the, uh, the rule of law in this country? You know, if we, um, we're having, um, you know, dishonest elections and then we, we can't even, uh, depend on our, our, our Supreme Court, on our, on our judges to be honest in their, you know, treatment of this dishonesty. How does that, uh, how does that bode for the, the future of, of the rule of law in our country? Well, I think I've first stated about 21 years ago, and I might have stated it on this show in the past, that the rule of law is gone. But it's gone already. And, um, oh, you can be under the illusion sometimes that we still have a rule of law because you see things kind of lawfully being enforced. But that doesn't mean there's a rule of law because anytime judges... And prosecutors want to just take things in another direction, whether it's to persecute somebody, to favor somebody. They do it all the time. I mean, it's just, so it's gone already. All right. There's still, the facade is up. So we're, there's still a certain stability to our society because the, the facade is, the infrastructure is there. Yeah. But it'll be violated anytime the people in power want to violate it. Hmm. And, and, um, and I've seen it. I've, it's the book I haven't written yet. But, you know, I, I had a question. Was, is, you were talking, Father. And I, it's a little bit off philosophically off the path, I guess. But I, I, when I watched little clips of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris uh, taking in the joy and the praise of of being president-elect and vice president-elect, and they're smiling and have their photo ops. And what what does it say about the personalities of such people that they that they know they cheated? I mean, how can someone like that? How could people like that really live with themselves? They're proud of this. They are proud of this. Is it the complete absence of a conscience? Well, yes, it's it's the complete distortion of conscience. Yes, but their conscience has been so perverted. But I mean, let's face it: that something happens to a human conscience that accepts abortion. I mean, right there, you know, just accept abortion, compromise with it, even if you don't approve of it. Say, well, you know, we're kind of pro, we're we're pro-choice, we're not pro-abortion. Whatever it is, I mean, just uh, compromise your conscience and. Uh, you are not thinking like a, a human being anymore. You're thinking like a devil.
I think like a demon. And um, just basically anything that serves the purpose will do, right? And and you you've been raised as an existentialist in in college to think that well, everybody has his own experience. So everybody actually creates his own little world around himself and defines for himself what's good and bad, right and wrong. Um, and um, so that's all totally subjective. And so in my little world that I create for myself and around myself as I'm the God, the center of my own little world, of my own creation, this is good because it, makes, it, it serves my purpose. This is bad because it doesn't. And so then one can define everyone and everything else in the world as, as good if it serves my purpose, bad if it doesn't, if it stands in the way of my purpose. And this is what basically we've seen happening here. But an entire population, they've been raised on this idea and so, um, you know, you, you finally wound up with someone like uh, a Joe Biden or a Kamala Harris or her malevolence, uh, Nancy Pelosi. Uh, you wind up with these people who, not only with a straight face, but almost with a certain um, sneer of arrogance, that they, they're bald-faced just deceiving you and saying things that are absolutely... I mean, uh, not only untrue, but they're manifestly not true. <laughs> I mean, when, when Nancy Pelosi said, well, we have to pass uh, the Affordable Care Act of Obama before we can find out what's in it. I mean, this is so absolutely, I mean, is there a word to describe? This, uh, this is not a statement of a rational human being. Uh, this is a statement of somebody who is, who is are so corrupt. It's, it's just mind-boggling. And yet, she says it with such d- determination, such flair, such, uh, you know, as though everyone is supposed to say, burst into applause at her wisdom. And you know what? That can only be done by people who applaud corruption, people who admire it. The followers of, of jo- the, the inner circle of Joseph Stalin admired him because of all of them, he was the most ruthless, the most dastardly of them all. And they admired him for that. They applauded him for that. Cheered him on for that. He was their champion of corruption. You know, This is what they live by. You know, yeah. They look upon it as one huge game to see who can... It's as though somebody invented a game called Liar. <clears throat> you know, Liars, right? And maybe there is a game like that right now, but the objective of the game is to see who can lie the most and most boldly and brazenly and that's the hero. That's the one who wins the game. And this is the game they're playing right now. And the rest of us, we don't understand that. We don't understand how they can think like that. But they do. And we're constantly shocked when we find them acting this way. And as I've been saying for years, what do you expect of people who have come to power over the bodies of millions and millions of dead babies an abortion. This is their path to power. What do you expect from them? It, it's shocking that they can tell the truth about anything, ever. They, they glory in their shame, St. Paul says. And I'm sorry, but uh, there's a lot more that could be said. Uh, I'm apologizing, not, I'm not saying it, but I, I don't mean to go on. But I think we have to get used to the idea. I mean, it's a mystery of iniquity here. We're dealing, we're dealing with people who basically... But when a soul in mortal sin dies and is condemned to hell, it becomes a demon, right? 
and we are dealing with people who think like demons already. They think already like demons, and they speak like demons, and they act like demons, right? Regardless of the nice, very expensive suits they put on, or how much ice cream they have in their refrigerator and freezers, mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> you know, if, if I may, you know, as you were talking, I formulated something in my head that you then articulated perfectly, mm -hmm. uh, answering my own question in a way. It occurred to me that their mindset is this isn't lying and cheating. This is politics. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is okay. They, they've they've actually won. And by their way of thinking, they won legitimately because they cheated better than the other guy. Exactly right. Exactly right. That's what they can outlie and outcheat. That's what we got. And then to, to tie that back to something else, what you said earlier about McConnell basically saying, "Let's move on, everybody. Let's not be making an issue of these of these electors." Mm -hmm. It reminded me of a line of the great Joseph Sobrin. Back after the first President Bush broke his no new taxes pledge, got into office and then signed on to a big tax hike. Mm -hmm. And Bob Dole back then, as one of uh, maybe the Senate Majority Leader at that time, or Minority Leader, uh, Sobern commented on what Bob, Bob Dole said. Well, this is the way the process works. You compromise. <laughs> and and, 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 and Sobern noted that that th this is how a guy like Bob Dole, who I think him and Mitch McConnell, I mean, for those of, of the viewers that don't remember Bob Dole, might be too young, very similar, just career politicians their whole life, majority leaders of the Senate. And, uh, the, and, and Sobern pointed out, this is how they think. They don't, th th they're worried about process. Mm -hmm. The principle has nothing to do with how these people think. It's all about the process. And for Mitch McConnell to have said today, let's not be whatever. I didn't read it. You told me about it. Whatever he said about let's not be you know, fighting over these electors. See, he just he just wants to get the normal process back into place and move on. The fact that it was a fraudulent election and that the Republican Trump, who all of his base loves, He's willing to see Trump go, go up by the wayside rather than to have some nasty little struggle in the U.S. House and Senate that disrupts the normal process. Let's get back to our normal process. Mm -hmm. That's what these people are all about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, they use the process to their advantage. And yes. so on. But, you know, Tom, I've also said for years, for what it's worth here, that we're involved in an exorcism here. And that's why, because I think we have living, breathing human beings as Dante said in the Inferno long ago, we have, we have people who are actually in hell and they're represented here on earth by devils, by demons who are actually acting out their roles, okay? Whereas their actual souls are already in hell. <laughs> That's what Dante said. <laughs> but, uh, but um, you know, we're dealing with uh, principalities and powers. We're, we're, we're fighting powers of darkness in high places very much in this country right now. And that's why we, we have to see this as a spiritual battle, you know, and uh, we have to react to it. As a, if we don't fight this as a spiritual battle, we're going to lose. It is like an exorcism. I mean, the church has, in her old, real, real code of canon law, the St. Pius X code of canon law, 21 rules, instructions to, to exorcists as to how they are to conduct themselves during an exorcism because they're confronting a devil. And it wouldn't be a bad idea for each and every one of us to know what those rules are, because I think they apply to each and every one of us today in the society we live in, and these people we're dealing with, 
the abortionists on the street, uh, you know, down at Auburn Avenue here in Cincinnati and elsewhere, because that's what we're dealing with. That's what we're confronting. And I think we have to confront them with very much the same caution that the church advises her exorcists to use. Um, and the, the, one of the first things, well, you know, the, the, the church says in her uh, Rituale, uh, chapter 11 on, on exorcisms, uh, is do not get into a discussion with the devil. You know, do not uh, start answering his questions because he will try to wrap you up and confuse you. And, 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 and But you have to maintain that control. And the only way you can maintain that control over the whole interaction is you maintain control over yourself. And that takes virtue. Take, otherwise, you're going to you're going to lose yourself to uh, the devil's game. He's going to be luring you into playing the game with him, and you will always lose that game. And the only way you can avoid being sucked into that game by him, uh, whether you're doing an exorcism, somebody possessed, or whether you're dealing with somebody on the streets out here who's very much uh, in his employ, uh, you have to have that virtue, and you have to be in the state of grace. So, you know, the first obligation of any human being, man, woman, or child, and certainly, especially Catholics, is to be in the state of grace. Because if you are not, you are MIA, POW, uh, DOA, or worse, you're an agent, you know, <laughs> an agent for a foreign power, you're a traitor. So the first thing to do is to get in the state of grace and live in the state of grace of God, and it has to start from there. So uh, the, um, the moral of the story, what it all comes down to in my book, is as interesting as I find the constitutional questions are, because they are very interesting, and because, uh, like St. Thomas More, he did try to faithfully follow the procedures as a Catholic would do so, okay? And he had every right to do so. He said that God made us to live according to our wits. And he saw that, as a, as, a, as a demand that he, as an attorney, and actually Lord Chancellor of the realm of England at one point, that he had to respect the law. And he said that the law is set up also for our protection. The devil would not have cut down all the laws, and then he said, where would you run to hide? You know, So law is not bad. That's the whole point. We're saying we need a country of laws, right? And they're disregarding the laws, as that's, this is the problem. So I, I, I relate this to what St. Thomas More said back, back when, when he was being interrogated <laughs> you know, uh, by Cramner and Cromwell and those people. Um, but so I, I don't in any way disparage you know, the law of the land. Uh, the problem is that it is now being cut down by these people who just want to play games of the system, game the system, really, literally game the system. And uh, we have to stand for the law, but we have to stand for the law of God first, and this is where I think we fail. I look back to Vatican II and what happened to the Church in Vatican II as the source. Basically, the floodgates opened. All of this evil flooded the world. I mean, within 10 years after Vatican II, Roe versus Wade, abortion right? Becomes the, basically the rule of the land here. That couldn't have happened if Vatican II had not basically knocked out the entirety of the Catholic Episcopate, right? Essentially, just wiped them off the board, right? They were useless, good for nothing, at best even. <clears throat> and um, so uh, that's what I see this as a real spiritual battle. And I just keep turning to people and imploring them, please, please, live in the state of grace, 
Let your voices be heard in heaven by the rosary. Pray. Follow the traditional Catholic faith absolutely in its integrity. Follow it not just, you know, bit by pit, like with the Fraternity of St. Peter, Society of St. Pius X, whatever they're willing to give you. Follow the traditional Catholic faith in its integrity. And, uh, you know, your voices will be heard by God. God will bless you. We have the entire Old Testament and the entirety of the New Testament as a, as a, as a guarantee of that, because we see how God judges things. We know what he's told us. And uh, when the people of Israel fell, when they fell into uh, famine and, and plague and, uh, and exile, right, when they were carried off, we know why it happened. When they were restored, again, we know why it happened because there were voices that rose in fidelity to God. We have to make those voices heard today. So uh, that, to me, is where it's all going to come down to that. Absolutely. Well, Father, uh, thank you for being here tonight. We appreciate your oh. time. Mr. Condit, thanks Here's as well. Time. Thank appreciate you. your time. You're welcome. Yep. And uh, with that, they say thank you to all of our viewers for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima, to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and to pray and do penance. Thank you, and God bless you.